0: Well, guys, it is, uh, it's an honor to be with you today. My name is Matt Carter. I'm the pastor of preaching here at the Austin Stone, and uh, it is, uh, it's a good day to be at church. You ought to be in a good mood today because University of Texas football is back, amen? Yeah, I love it when you guys are winning. I'm an Aggie, and we lost to Alabama yesterday, but I don't care because as long as Texas are winning is winning, then you guys come to church in a good mood and y'all praise God, so I love it. I'm glad y'all are winning again, that's, that's awesome. But um, it's good to be with you. Uh, last week we finished our series called We Are The Austin Stone, where we looked at kind of the foundations of what we do as a church. And today we're jumping back into the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and uh, we were in it through a couple of chapters before we started our series. And that's what we do for the most part at this church is uh, we take a book of the Bible and we go through it verse by verse. Um, it's called Preaching Expositionally, and that's where we're at, we're in Matthew today. Matthew chapter four, verse 23 is where we'll uh, start today. And uh, we're gonna be in Matthew for quite some time, so I hope you like it. But um, as you turn to Matthew four twenty three. Um, one of the things that I realize about today's verse, it's, it's one of those verses that you read, if you're reading your Bible and you kind of skip over it, um, you think it's a filler verse, but I'm kind of learning there's not really filler verses in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is, is doing something, and even in verses like this, and, and what this verse does today is it kind of sheds a light on a controversy, that's happening right now in Christianity, and if, if you have a life, you probably don't spend a lot of time on Twitter looking at Christian controversies, and so I'll give you the short version of kind of what's going on right now. There's some pretty big wigs in Christianity that are going back and forth with each other, and here's, it's more nuanced than what I'm gonna say, but here's the the bottom line, is that the question that's being asked, and that's being debated, is should, should Christians only worry about um, the gospel? Should we only worry about preaching, and teaching, and sharing uh, the good news that Christ died on a, on a cross and rose from the grave, or should we preach the gospel and also engage uh, with the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world? Should we preach the gospel and engage in issues and things like justice and racial reconciliation and the needs of the poor and the oppressed? And uh, believe it or not, that is that is that is a debate that people are deeply divided in right now. But I think. One of the cool things about Matthew 24, again, it seems like a, a throwaway verse, but it actually, Matthew is shedding some light on this particular subject about how we are to live our lives as Christians. And I want, I want to begin today by asking you a question, it's a simple question, and it's this, is why did Jesus come to this planet? If somebody were to ask you that, you know, why did he come in the first place, how would you answer that? Um, I think most of us would probably answer it by jumping pretty quickly to the cross and the resurrection. We'd say, well, Jesus came to this planet to live the perfect life. He died on a Roman cross. His blood that was shed uh, was the payment for our sin and so we can be reconciled back to God and then he rose three days later conquering death. If you were to ask why Jesus came to this, or somebody asked you why he came to this planet, that's where most of us would probably go and answer and you'd be right, okay? That is the, the ultimate reason that Jesus came to this planet. It was the gospel of the cross and the resurrection. But here's what I want us to think about today before we jump into Matthew 4:23. And it's kind of this that if 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 Jesus ultimate goal was to die for our sins on a cross and it was, then why did he spend 3 years of his life leading up to the cross, doing all these other things? But while the ultimate goal was to die on a cross and pay the penalty for our sin and, and, and rise again, Jesus spent three years, and I did the math, and that's roughly 1,100 days. He spent 1,100 days, that's a lot of time, going around and preaching and ministering to people and healing people, and he was doing all this ministry to people. The question's kinda why, why is it? Well, Matthew four twenty three. what it's gonna do is it's gonna show us what Jesus was doing during this roughly 1,100 days before he died on a cross, and again, I think it sheds a lot of light on how we are to live as Christians. So go ahead, Matthew four let's turn there. Keep in mind, Jesus has been baptized, um, he's called his disciples, and his ministry is beginning. This 1,100 day ministry is starting, and Matthew's saying, here's what Jesus was doing. So let's read it together, Matthew four twenty three. Matthew says, and he, that's Jesus, went through all of Galilee, He was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so Jesus is beginning his ministry. And Matthew tells us he he basically was doing two primary things during that 1,100 days of his ministry before the cross. Number one, he was going to synagogues. And he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which I'll talk about in a second. And the second thing, he says he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So let's look at those two statements, we'll kind of unpack them, and, uh, and then we'll get to the point today. Right, listen, guys, here's the thing. We got a lot of theology and a lot of Bible study to, 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 to kind of get through before we get to the point today. So ADD people, hang with me here for a few minutes. The first statement that uh, Matthew says Jesus was doing was that he was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the synagogues were built after the exile, okay? So the Jewish people were in Jerusalem. They were taken from there. They went into exile into Babylon. And so when they eventually came back, they all didn't move to Jerusalem where the temple was. They were scattered all over uh, the region. And so a lot of people lived all around Galilee and all the way up to Jerusalem. They had all these different cities. And so what they would do because they weren't near the temple in Jerusalem as they would build a synagogue. It was like a local expression of the temple in the place that they lived. And so what Matthew tells us Jesus was doing during his ministry is he would go around to all these different cities, and he would show up at the synagogue, and he would teach there, all right? Now, go back to uh, verse 23, because Matthew tells us kind of what Jesus was doing and preaching in these synagogues. So in verse 23 He says he went throughout all of Galilee, he was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He says he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and that's key. Because I want you to notice that Matthew doesn't say that Jesus was going around all of Galilee and going to the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel In other words, Jesus Jesus wasn't showing up at all these different towns and walking into their synagogue and, and saying, hey, I'm gonna die on a cross for your sins and rise three days later. That's not what he was doing. Matthew tells us he was going into the synagogues and he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Well, see, here's the deal. Throughout all the Old Testament, the prophets The Old Testament's prophets, they foretold of a day where God would send this Messiah king to Israel. And this Messiah king would establish a brand new kingdom and he would be the king over that kingdom and Israel would be brought back to glory. Now all the Israelites knew those prophecies and all those Israelites were looking forward to those prophecies of that day where this brand new kingdom would be established in Israel. And so what, what Matthew is saying to us when he went around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom is that what Jesus was doing is he was going to the, in a synagogue and he would say, hey, y'all remember all the Old Testament prophets said there was gonna be a new king and a brand new kingdom? He'd go, I'm, I'm, I'm him, I'm the king. That's what he was doing. Now turn quickly to Luke chapter four, verse 15. I wanna show you, because Luke goes into a specific picture of Jesus doing this, and I want you to see what he said and watch their reaction. So it's Luke chapter four, verse 15. Luke says that he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says that Jesus rolled up the scroll, He gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes of the people in the synagogue were fixed on him, now look at verse 21. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so this is as close to like a a mic drop that we ever see Jesus do in in the scripture. He, He goes into a synagogue, he opens up Isaiah, in the Old Testament, brings him to a place where Isaiah was prophesying about a new king that was gonna come and build this new kingdom, and then he reads it, and then he rolls the scroll back up, hands it to the attendant, sits down, everybody's looking at him like, what's your point? And then he says, hey everybody, I want you to know something, the new king and the new kingdom, that's me. That's me, okay? And so what, uh, what occurs after that is pretty interesting. But before I show you how they responded, I just want you to know, and I guess this is just something that I never really thought about until this week. I have a doctorate in Bible, and I never really paid much attention to this. But Jesus spent this 1,100 days of his ministry talking over and over and over about the good news of this coming kingdom in which he was the king. As a matter of fact, don't turn there, but in Acts chapter one, verse three, um, Luke tells us that even even at the end, on his last day of ministry, he was talking about this kingdom. In Acts one, three, he says he he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering. And so this is after the resurrection. By many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so guys, from the first day of his ministry, until the last day of his ministry before he ascended into heaven, he wasn't walking around talking about how he was gonna die on a cross. He really only did that privately to his disciples. What he was doing was he was going around and he was spending an enormous amount of time proclaiming the good news of a brand new kingdom that was being inaugurated in which he was the king. Okay, and so that's what he did in the synagogues. Now, what do you think their response was? when Jesus walks up, opens up the Bible for crying out loud, reads about this coming king, coming Messiah, coming kingdom, and says, hey everybody, that's me. What do you think their response was? You think they started clapping? Because they've been looking forward to the king for a long time. You Think maybe they bowed down, started worshiping him, started cheering him, put him on their shoulders, carried him out, that's not at all what happened. Look at Luke chapter four, verse 28. Luke chapter four, verse 28. It says, when they heard these things, this is after Jesus proclaimed that he was the king, he was inaugurating a new kingdom. When they had heard these things, all the synagogue, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the bow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. And so it's crazy because you've got these people and everybody since they were this little grows up knowing that there's coming a day where a new king's gonna come, and he's gonna establish a new kingdom and bring glory back to Israel, and this guy says, shows up and says, I'm him, and their response is they wanna throw him off the cliff. Now, why? Why they wanna kill Jesus for saying that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, he said that in Nazareth, and that's where he grew up, and they start looking at him like, yo, you think you're the king? I thought you were Joseph's son. Joseph was a carpenter. We're looking for somebody with a little better pedigree than that. But the other reason is this, you need to understand that the Israelite people were famous for wanting kings. God told them back in the day, look, I'll be your king. You don't need a human king. I'll be your king, just worship me and we'll, we'll do this. And they look back at God and they're like, we don't want you to be our king, we want an earthly king just like all the other nations. And so God gave them over to their desires and he gave them Saul and David and Solomon and on and on and on. But the problem was, is that the vast majority of these kings didn't bring peace and prosperity that they hoped they would. They brought a lot of misery, and they brought a lot of trouble, and they brought a lot of corruption, which earthly kings are apt to do. And so um, when they would go back with these kings that were destroying the nation and bringing all this corruption, they'd go and they'd read the Bible about this coming king that was going to come, and he was going to be this awesome king, and he was going to make this awesome kingdom In their brains, they all thought that he was gonna be this great military leader or that he would be this incredibly charismatic political figure that would kind of ride in on a white horse and kill all the Romans and restore Israel back to what it always should have been, they thought, which is this great, incredible, powerful kingdom. But Jesus shows up on the scene, this carpenter from Nazareth, and he turns to Isaiah and he reads these verses about a coming King in a coming kingdom, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm him, and they try to kill him, and I think the reason is why, I told you number one, because he was just Jesus from Nazareth, but there's, Luke kind of gives us a clue of why they turned on him so fast. Turn again, Luke four seventeen. He says, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind and set at liberty those who were oppressed. And so the scripture that Jesus chose to point out that he was the king and there was a kingdom coming was a scripture about proclaiming liberty to the captives, recovering sight to the blind and setting liberty those who were oppressed. And the people were hearing that and they're like, wait a minute. We don't want our king to be a king that preaches good news to the poor and recovers sight to the blind. We want our king to be a guy that comes in on a white horse and cleans house and kills all the Romans and establishes us as, the, as this place of glory and power that we absolutely deserve. But that's not what Jesus said the kingdom was gonna look like. And that was not the kingdom that they were looking for. And so they dragged him out and they tried to kill him. So Jesus spent, listen, he spent over 1,000 plus days of his ministry telling people about the good news of a kingdom in which the oppressed and the captive and the blind would find healing. Okay, now, let's go back to Matthew four twenty three, and let's look at the second way that Matthew says Jesus spent this thousand days of ministry before the cross. And this is gonna kind of be critical for us getting to the point of this debate that I told you about at the beginning of the message. But let's read this, Matthew four twenty three. He says that he went through all uh, G- uh, Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which you now know what that means. And here's the second thing Matthew said he did. And he healed every disease and every affliction among the people. Okay, so Jesus went around and he was preaching the good news of a new kingdom which he was king and Matthew tells us he was going around healing the disease. Now I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Don't miss this. This is key. Here's the point. This is what Jesus did for a thousand days before the cross. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the new kingdom with his words and he demonstrated the gospel of the new kingdom with his actions. That's what Jesus did. That's how he spent his time. He was proclaiming this new kingdom with his mouth and then he walked out the doors and he demonstrated this new kingdom had come with his actions. Now let's go to the very next verse, verse 24, because Matthew gets really specific about how Jesus was demonstrating the gospel and it matters. So let's look, Matthew 4, 24, next verse. So after um, he, he says he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing his diseases, verse 24. Matthew says, so his fame spread throughout all of Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains. And then watch what it says. Matthew gives three specific examples of how Jesus was healing people. Again, there's a reason he's doing it. He says, those who are oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. So he was proclaiming the gospel of this new kingdom with his mouth and then he was going out the doors and demonstrating this new kingdom, by healing, um, you had people that were oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. Now those who were oppressed by demons, those people would, in, or rather Jesus would encounter different people and they would be demon possessed. They were oppressed by this demon, and so he would cast out the demon, and they would no longer be oppressed. The other thing Matthew says that he was encountering and healing were epileptics. Now this is pretty interesting, I didn't know this till this week. The word epileptic is translated from the Greek word, I don't know how to say it, something like that. It's been a long time since I've had Greek in seminary. And we translate it from, um, from the Greek into English as epileptic. And the reason that we translate that epileptic is because we have modern medicine and we know that these people were more than likely um, epileptics because they would fall on the ground and they'd have a seizure. And we know that's epilepsy. But back in the day, people thought that these people were being held captive by the power of the moon. That word, Zizo, actually means moonstruck. And so these people would fall on the ground and start convulsing and people just assumed that they were captive by this crazy power of the moon. And so when Jesus would show up and he would heal them in a very real way in their mind, he was setting free these people that were held captive by the power of the moon. And then the third thing that Matthew tells us Jesus did was heal paralytics. These These are people with physical ailments. Jesus would encounter people that were sick. He would encounter people that were paralyzed. He'd encounter people that were blind, and he would heal them. He'd heal all their physical ailments. Now, here's the thing, this is in summary, here's what Jesus was doing. He was setting free these people that everyone thought were being held captive by the power of the moon. He was healing physical ailments like paralysis and blindness, and he was giving liberty setting free those who were oppressed by demons. Now church, does that sound familiar? Where have you heard that before? When Jesus was in the synagogue in Nazareth, he opens up the scroll and reads the verse from Isaiah describing what the new Messiah or the new king was gonna do in his new kingdom. And Jesus chose this verse, Luke chapter 4, 18, which is quoting Isaiah. And Jesus said this, is the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's describing what the new kingdom is gonna look like. He's saying the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor and to set, uh, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Epileptics to recover the sight to the blind, the paralytics, physical ailments, and to set free those who are oppressed, demon-possessed. And so Jesus was not talking about setting free them from the Romans, he was talking about in a real way, demonstrating the kingdom of God by loving the least of these. He said a new kingdom is coming, and I'm the king. And then he walked out the doors and he demonstrated what the new kingdom was gonna look like by loving and caring and healing people that were poor and oppressed and afflicted. Now, let's go back to Matthew 4, 23 one more time and I'm gonna, I'm gonna finally get to my point today after all that theology. All right, here we go. Matthew 4, 23. It says, he went throughout all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so Matthew, again, he's saying to us, listen, this is how Jesus spent the majority of his time. Over a 1,000 days of ministry here on earth, Jesus was proclaiming a new kingdom with his words. And then he went, went around and he demonstrated a new kingdom with his actions. And if you think about it, you gotta ask the question, why? Why did he spend so much time? Doing that, 1100 or so, so days. And his main goal is simply to walk to the cross and die and rise again. That's the goal, that's the aim. So why in the world did he not just kind of live in obscurity and just kind of lay low? And then when it was time, walk up to the, to the temple in Jerusalem and walk up to the chief priest and say, hey, I'm, I'm God and I'm here to die for all the people. And they were like, man, shut your mouth. And they'd have killed him. And then he rose three days later, we're good. Why did he spend all that time, a thousand something days, proclaiming the kingdom with his mouth, demonstrating the kingdom with his actions? I wanna give you two answers and we'll be done. Number one, Jesus did that. Jesus spent all that time proclaiming with his mouth, demonstrating with his actions that a new kingdom was coming, here's why. Because he was giving us, in doing that, he was giving us a foretaste of the heavenly kingdom that you and I that belong to God will one day enjoy. You know, we, we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say let your kingdom come. That's what Jesus was doing, is he brought the kingdom of heaven down and he gave us a little glimpse so that you and I could see and then you and I could experience a little taste of heaven before the day when we will actually go to heaven. And so he, was, he set captives free, he gave liberty to the oppressed, he healed the sick to show the world a picture of what heaven was eventually gonna look like. And he can't do that if he's going and taking out the Romans. He had to heal people, set oppressed people free to show a picture of heaven. I was thinking about this, one way to think about it would be like in World War II, you had Hitler that just went nuts and took over all of Europe in a matter of months. And so he, he once was this continent of Europe was now all Germany. And so what the Allied forces did on June 6, 1944, is they stormed the beaches of Normandy, they invaded enemy territory, and at the end of that day, they had established a beachhead. They had taken over the beach, and they had, they had kind of taken over a, a town or two into um, enemy territory, and so at the end of the day, what they'd done is even though they were still in enemy territory, even they were still surrounded by the enemy, on that beach in Normandy was a little picture of what Europe would eventually look like. If you were to just walk up on the beach that day, there'd be no shooting, there'd be no death or whatever because they had established a beachhead, cleaned the thing up, and that was a little tiny picture of the eventual victory that would come, and that's all that Jesus was doing as he came here to this planet, and he set the captives free, he healed people, he gave liberty to those who were oppressed to show the world a picture and a foretaste of the kingdom that is to come. And in Matthew, don't turn there, Matthew chapter 10, verse five, um, that's exactly, he just kinda comes out and says it. He says, these 12 uh, Jesus sent out, instructed them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, he says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And watch what he says in verse seven. He says, proclaiming as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying, disciples, go out into all the world. And this is what I want you to tell people, that a picture of heaven has showed up. And then he tells them what the picture of heaven is supposed to look like. In verse eight, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Has you ever wondered, have you just stopped if you grew up in church, have you ever wondered why in the world Jesus went around healing people? Well, what's the point? Why did he do it? He spent 1,100 days doing it. And number one, he loves people and he loves us and he actually cared about the person that he was healing and right in front of him. But, but here's the other reason, and this is crystal clear in the scripture. Because when he was setting captives free here on earth, Jesus was showing us a foretaste of heaven where you and I will no longer be captive to any chains that bind us here on earth. He came here and he set captives free to show us the beautiful, incredible, glorious picture of the day that's coming for those of you that know Jesus where you will no longer be captive to depression or mental illness or or anger or addiction or lust. You will be set free forever from that stuff. And Jesus came to this planet and said hey, Giving you a little foretaste. Jesus healed sickness here on earth to give us a foretaste of heaven where there will be no more sickness. He came and he, and he gave sight to the blind and He had the paralytic get up and walk, and He did it because He was showing us a picture of the day where there will be no more paralytics. There will be no more cancer or heart disease or cerebral palsy or deafness or blindness or even stomach viruses or flus, for crying out loud. He was showing us a little taste of heaven and saying, hey, the kingdom has come, and this is what it looks like. Jesus came to this planet, and he raised dead people to life to show us and give us a foretaste of the day when you and I will be in glory, and there will be no more death forever and ever and ever, okay, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom with his mouth, and then he demonstrated the good news of the kingdom of God with his actions and he did it to give us a foretaste of heaven. Okay, so here's, here's the last reason. Here's kind of the last thing I think that um, is pointing us to the fact that Jesus spent a thousand plus days preaching and demonstrating uh, this new kingdom and how it applies to us. The first one is Jesus did it, show you a picture of heaven and here's the second one and it's really super simple. You guys ready for it? Here it is. I think he did that, 1,000 days, proclaiming and demonstrating. I think he did it because he wants us to do the exact same thing. I I just, I have a hard time believing, I have a hard time believing that Jesus spent so much of his ministry proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom with his mouth and demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom with his actions if that's not what he wants us to do too. And it says it straight up in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And so the point, church, is not that we become imitators of the Apostle Paul. The point of that statement is that the end goal of every Christian is to eventually look more like Jesus. That that's the goal. That that's the aim is that we want to follow um, Paul, he says, because at the end of the day, the end result is we wanna look and live and act and move like the person of Jesus Christ. And if we're gonna be, listen, if we're gonna be imitators of Christ, we've gotta proclaim the gospel, the kingdom with our mouths, and then we've gotta go out the doors and we've gotta proclaim the gospel by demonstrating the gospel with our actions, okay? I mean, think about this, think about this. Let's say you're going home today, And out by your car, there's a homeless guy, and you realize that he's hungry. And so you you say, "Hold on," and and you go to McDonald's and you get the guy a Big Mac and a Coke, and you bring it back and say, "Man, here's here's a Big Mac and a Coke." And he says, "Thank you so much." And then you just walk away and say, "Have a blessed day." Well, that's great that you fed the guy. At the end of the day, it's kind of cruel. It's kind of cruel because at the end of the day, you've you've met an immediate need in his life, but you have not even attempted to meet the greatest need in the man's life, which is a relationship with God, the forgiveness of his sins, so that he can spend eternity in heaven. What good's a cheeseburger if you ain't going to heaven? But at the same time, the opposite of that is true. That if you see a person that's homeless is obviously hungry, and, and, and you walk up to the person and, and, and walk up to them and introduce yourself and, and they say, hey man, can you spare some change, I'm really hungry. And you look at them and go, hey, have you ever trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the guy says, no, as a matter of fact, I haven't. Would you like to do that today? Jesus, share the gospel with him. He says, yes, I would love to do that. And the guy like, gives his life to Jesus, which is incredible. But then he looks at you and says, man, that's the greatest news I've ever heard. I can't believe, it. I, just, I just found Christ. I, I, I feel clean and whole and new. But, but man, can you, can you give me something to eat because I'm kind of hungry? And you look back at him and go, no, sorry, man, I ain't got time. I'll, I'll see you in heaven, right? And you walk off. At the end of the day, that's just as cruel. It's, cru- it's cruel because why you have, have, have met the ultimate need in his life with the gospel You didn't demonstrate the gospel by meeting the immediate need that was right in front of his face. And church, listen, Jesus never, ever, ever did one to the neglect of the other. Neither one of those, isolated in themselves, looks like the person of Jesus. You think, okay, Matt, this is great, but here's the thing, for what it's worth, I'm telling you, just my opinion, that I believe that this is probably the primary reason why Christianity in the United States is on a rapid decline. It's not the case all over the world. But the United States Christianity is taking a nosedive and I'm convinced that this is the number one reason is because we have an entire part of the body of Christ that's screaming about the gospel from the rooftops which is great, we ought to, but they could care less about loving the people that are all around them. And at the same time, you've got this whole other segment of the body of Christ that's screaming from the rooftops, love their neighbor and engage in all these issues, but they've walked away from the scripture and they're not proclaiming the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing I believe that the United States and Christianity in the United States is declining because Christians are not showing an accurate picture of Jesus Christ. We're majoring on one and monitoring or ignoring the other when Jesus Christ did both his entire ministry. If you're a person that says, I'm all about sharing the gospel, but you could care less about the concerns and issues of your brothers and sisters of color, you are not imitating Jesus. If you are a person that believes in the freedom to proclaim the gospel, but you're not lifting a finger to do anything about the millions of people that are being held captive right now in the slave trade in our country, and all across the world, you're not imitating Christ. He proclaimed the gospel, and he demonstrated the new kingdom. And at the same time, if you're a person that cares about racial injustice and sex trafficking but you're never sharing the gospel, then you are not imitating Jesus. Jesus spent the majority, the overwhelming majority of his ministry doing both. He preached the gospel of the kingdom and then he showed everybody what this gospel of the kingdom is gonna look like. And so I just want to ask you a simple question of application. and We're done. Which one of those two today, if you if you had to guess, which one of the two do you need to increase in? Honestly, for me, it's not so much demonstrating the gospel with my actions that honestly comes really easy to me. I've always had a heart for the poor and the oppressed and the least. For these, I'm kind of got that kind of prophetic mindset, so when I see injustice, it makes me mad, and it's easy for me to jump in and be a part of it. I'm gonna tell you what's hard for me is opening my mouth and sharing the gospel with people. You go, wait a minute, Matt, you're a preacher. That's exactly right. I, I let myself off the hook because I just sh- sh- preached twice today and shared the gospel, but it's really hard for me to go out those doors. I'm an introvert, I, I, I'm, I have self-image issues. I, I struggle walking up and sharing with people the, the good news that's changed my entire life and eternity. But at the same time, there's others, that's not your issue. But for whatever reason, it's not that you're not proclaiming the gospel, but you're not demonstrating it. The love of Jesus Christ is not pouring out of you. There's parts of the world, you withhold people, people groups, issues, you're withholding your love. You're not demonstrating the love of Christ. Listen guys, I'm telling you, Jesus did both. Ask him to change you and I'll end with this. There's a song um, that I've been listening to a lot lately and we're about to sing it. And when we get to the, not the chorus, chorus but the bridge, there's this part that says this. says, oh Lord, change me like only you can. Here with my heart in your hand. And it says, Father, I pray, make me more like Jesus. It says this world is dying to know who you are. Is that true or what? Is anybody but me, you're just watching the news, you're watching Twitter, and the thing that I wanna scream from the rooftop is more than I can ever admit. It, the world needs Jesus Christ, amen? The world needs to see an accurate picture of Jesus. They didn't love the church, they didn't love religious people, but when they encountered Jesus, they fell in love and he changed their life. We need to show a picture of Jesus Christ. It says, this world is dying to know who you are. You've shown us the way to your heart. So Father, I pray, make me more like Jesus. Let's do that. Let's pray together. And as you bow your head and close your eyes and the band comes forward. I just want you to pray a simple prayer today. But I hope that you mean it. I pray that you would ask the Holy Spirit to give you the power to begin to spend your days and the time that you have left on this planet looking more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. The person that spent almost every day of his ministry proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom with his words demonstrating the good news of the coming kingdom of heaven with his actions. Maybe during my sermon, the Holy Spirit just kind of showed you a couple ways. You need to look more like Jesus, ask him to do that work in your heart. If they see you, there's so much to have a problem with, but if they see Jesus in you, it can change everything. Father, I pray that you would do a work in us. I know it looks differently, probably for every person that's in the sound of my voice. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak louder than anything I could say or any illustration I could give and show us how, individually, we can model you. Show a picture to the world, the most beautiful and wonderful and amazing person that's ever lived, the Son of God, Jesus, the King. Father, we love you and we praise you. And God, I pray that as we sing to you that it would be more than a song, but it'd be our prayer, it'd be our cry. We ask you that you would make us more like Jesus Christ. And so it's in his name that we pray, amen. Amen, church, let's stand together.